Welcome to Blue Talks Podcast, where we present compelling narratives about entrepreneurs, innovators, and dreamers. So my sister just texted me now telling me how much she's missed me. <laughs> well, I know what she truly misses, so I open my Standbeak IBTC app and say to it, Hey, I want to transfer 5,000 naira to Funke. Done. And my post just asked me what the highest price stock is right now. Ha. Huh. I can't fold my hand, though. So I open my Stampic IBTC app from the comfort of my home and figure it out. Got it! You be the hero. Upgrade and take control of your finances with the new Stambic IBTC mobile app. Download or upgrade your Stambic IBTC mobile app on Google Play or Apple Store to experience seamless voice banking, stockbroking, insurance, and more from the safety of your home. From your one-stop financial services partner, Stambic IBTC. It can be. Blue Talks, brought to you by Stambic IBTC. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Blue Talks. On today's edition, we have a dynamic guest. She's many superpowers, as I would say. Uh, she started out earlier, on, I think, in investment banking and then went on to the government sector. And now she's an ecosystem builder, as I would call her. Don't worry, you can correct me if my description isn't um, as apt. But today she'll be talking to us about innovation versus policy. Over the last 10 years, we've seen an influx of some serious capital through investments in startups. And some of these have materialized into bountiful exits. Now, some of these exits have bolstered investor confidence in startups and enriched some founders in the process, which is good. Um, in addition, the last few years have seen few Nigerian tech firms attain the much coveted unicorn status, um, which is essentially when uh, a startup um, hits a $1 billion valuation. Uh, this has further inspired several local and international investors in taking the Nigerian startup scene even more seriously. Now, the Nigerian government has put in place several initiatives to improve the, the ease of doing business. And we've seen a lot of those initiatives. Um, a quicker, faster turnaround time to register businesses. Um, even for a name search, which used to take uh, forever before. But nowadays, you can do these things in a matter of hours and, you know, and days, depending on the type of service you're trying to get. Nowadays, your tax number is issued once you register the company. You don't necessarily have to go to another agency to go and get that sorted. And several other things as well, and different kinds of classifications for SMEs in terms of um, um, for tax purposes as well. Now, this has resulted in the country moving up 15 places in rankings. Um, and I'm talking about the ease of doing business rankings on the global scale. However, some have argued that our policies don't encourage the growth and development of the SME or startup sector. In fact, one of the local investors treated Nigerian entrepreneurship is equal to extreme sports. Now, our guest today, like I said, used to work in the public sector, and she will talk a bit about that herself. But today, she's currently the CEO of Endeavor Nigeria, and she'll also tell us what Endeavor does. And we'd like to get her thoughts on the topic innovation versus policy, which one comes first in most parts of the most places or experientially globally from the history of the world, innovation usually goes ahead of policy. But we've seen in recent times where certain policies have sort of caught up with innovation to try and give it legs or give it wings, as we might say. And so I'd like you to join me in welcoming Tosin Faniro Dada, CEO of Endeavor Nigeria. Thank you, Tyro. Thank you, Tosin. Great, great to have you here. Um, so let's dive straight into it. I'm sure our guests are, are, want to know, want to find out who you are. Who's Tosin Fanny Rodana? 
Please just inpanyo dada. So as you mentioned, I'm currently the CEO at Endeavor Nigeria. Before that, I did some work with the Lagos State Government, worked with them for four and a half years, started the Lagos State Employment Trust Fund um, with the implementing board and management, and just did some work around, you know, tackling the unemployment challenge in Lagos and supporting entrepreneurs. Um, started the Lagos Innovates Program, which is a program that supports early stage startups, providing them with um, resources to help them thrive. And before public sector, I did some work, obviously in the private sector, worked in a bank, um, worked in an investment management firm, and also worked in an accounting firm as well. So I started my career in PwC in Boston. Education background, I studied accounting at the University of Massachusetts. And I also have a master's in accounting as well from Boston College. But over the years, and I think I think my experience in LSCTF really changed my life and pretty much changed my perspective and where I see myself in the future. And so from supporting entrepreneurs at LSCTF, from working with them, from connecting them to resources, I like to say that I found my passion, <laughs> which is, you know, just, it's all about supporting entrepreneurs. You know, I've worked with entrepreneurs in various life cycle stages, and I have supported them with interventions and resources to just help them thrive, help them scale, and help them dream bigger, which was why when the opportunity to work in Endeavor Nigeria came up, it was a no-brainer because our values align. You know, Endeavor is, and for the audience who, people in the audience who don't know what Endeavor is or what we do, Endeavor is a leading global community of, by, and for high-impact entrepreneurs. And we help them dream bigger, we help them scale up, we help them pay it forward. And in terms of how we do this, we provide like access to, we provide demand-driven services. So from access to finance, access to capital, like, like we like to call it, access to talent, access to markets, because we're in 40 markets and counting, and also access to local and global mentors that can help them scale. Okay, thanks for that brief introduction. Now, you said you enjoyed working at LSTF, I think, you know, um, and working with startups and, and changed, changed you. Um, in what way can you, without going into too much details, can you tell us how that changed you? Without going into, my, into too much detail, I'll try because I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but um, I think before LSETF, I worked for commercial commercial organizations and, you know, always focused on profit. You never really think about helping. I mean, some people might, but to be honest, the, my my mindset was, you know, how do I make more money for my team? or for my organization. But then when I started working with LSETF, I became very sensitive to small businesses and their challenges, because essentially that's what we're trying to do. And it opened my eyes to, and I'm sure people already know this because you know research tells us this, MSMEs are the backbone of major developed economies. And we don't really think about it, but they truly are 
um, they are important contributors to employment, economic growth, and export growth. And if you have that information, then you ask, you know, so why are we not supporting MSMEs? Why are we not giving them the resources that they need to thrive? Why are we not giving them the resources that they need to expand if we know that they employ 84% of employed people in Nigeria, for instance? Um, they contribute to 50% of our national GDP. So I think it should be a no-brainer that we should be supporting MSMEs and ensuring that they have the right resources um, to help them expand and, and hire more people. And so I didn't know that. I didn't see that until I started working at LSETF. Mm. And then I became sensitive about everything, sensitive about like micro businesses, you know, the woman selling corn on the road, for instance, or the person selling recharge cards on the road. How are we helping that person? How are we helping that person expand, meet their working capital needs? How are we helping them grow? I guess is the word. How are we helping them grow? Because at the end of the day, they are contributing to our GDP and they are contributing to our society. One important thing you said there is about growth. I mean, and what doesn't grow usually dies. What has their, if anything has the ability to grow and it doesn't grow, it only goes the other way, which is, um, which is death. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So um, I like that. I mean, like made you sensitive to even the small woman, the, the small, you know, meat seller, the pepper seller on the street, and on the road, mm-hmm. which most of us generally would just overlook, not pay too much attention to what they do and the value they bring to mm-hmm. our society. Because without them, it means just like looking at a trucker, somebody who, um, who, who, who drives a truck and all of that. Most of the goods we eat, you know, majority of them come on different trucks, you know, from different Absolutely. parts all over the place yep. and stuff. So, um, you know, um, really spot on. Um, uh, that's one of my takeaways. But I'd like to get your perspective. I know you spoke a bit about it, but can you give us an overview of the Nigerian SME space? I know you reeled out some stats. Um, employ mm-hmm. about 84% of the workforce, responsible for contribute about 50% mm-hmm. of the GDP and all. But can you talk a bit more about mm-hmm. the Nigerian SME space for just to set the tone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I mentioned, you know, they're Nigerian SMEs, MSMEs. I know we like to say SMEs, but I always like to include the micro businesses as well. You know, they're important contributors to employment, economic and export growth, like I had mentioned earlier. In Nigeria today, I think we have about, from the last report, we had a, we have about 42 million MSMEs. And I think out of that, we have about 17 SMEs. But it's interesting to see that MSMEs account for 96% of total businesses in the country. Hmm. Yeah, 96 over 96% of total businesses in the country. But what's really sad is, you know, despite the significant contribution that, MSME, that MSMEs make to the Nigerian economy, all sorts of challenges hinder their growth and development. And I have touched on a few such as financing, for instance, there's a 32% financing gap for MSMEs in Nigeria. And if you think about financing, it's in two folds. Access is one, you know, they don't have access to, to financing. And then the second is it's just super expensive. And that's one of the things that's one of the challenges that we're trying to solve at the Lagos State Employment Trust Fund was how do we democratize access to capital, access to finance for MSMEs? How do we give them financing at 
a cheaper interest rate? How do we give them financing on social collateral, meaning that mm. as long as they have a guarantor um, that can that can guarantee you know their credibility and also pay back if they don't pay back if the loan beneficiary doesn't pay back you know then we're we're able to give them that financing now at the time in 2016 when we started lsctf a lot of people were not given financing on social collateral so a lot of people were still asking you for land you know cars whatever like motto physical collateral mm-hmm. And then we started and then we started lending to people based on, you know, you apply, you submit the required documents, you have a guarantor, one or two, depending on the category of loan that you're applying for. So if it's a micro loan, for instance, we would ask for one guarantor. If it's an SME loan, which is a bit more money, I think the maximum at the time was five million naira, we would ask for two guarantors. Mm. And if you meet the criteria, then you, you know, we're very transparent and then you get the loan. And so after like two, three years, um, then the banks started knocking on our, on our doors to figure out like, you know, how are you guys doing this? How are you guys able to loan money to MSMEs without any physical collateral mm. and you're still getting your money back? You know, how is this even possible? Like what metrics are you using? What framework are you using? You know, um, what tech are you using if you're using any and so we're able to educate the banks you know and some of our partners today are lending money to msmes without physical collateral and that's success for me you know that made me very happy very excited but i remember the conversations with the banks in 2016 and you know they didn't they 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 were not trying to hear it (laughs) yeah i mean so so you've had a taste of both both worlds. You've had a taste of the corporate world, you know, working in different climes, and you had a taste of government as well. Um, and here you are now um, at Endeavor, and it's it's almost like you're you're in between, you know. So you're not fully corporate, but you're not. Yeah. I'm non-profit. Exactly. <laughs> so somewhere in between. Yeah, you know, but. Um, so you've seen where innovation has taken place on both sides, you know, in that sense. But um, and you understand a lot of the policies that that have been put in place by government um, as well, or you know, policies to drive some of these things. So, in your opinion, which one comes first? Which one should come first, innovation or policy? I think policy, and I'll explain why. Okay. And I'll, I think about your question in in two folds as well. So I think innovation or policy is one hand and there's innovation or regulation. In terms of innovation or policy, I think policy should come first. In terms of innovation or regulation, I think innovation should come first because you can't regulate what you don't know. Mm. Now, the reason why I think policy should come first is you must have, you must provide an enabling environment for innovation to be encouraged and for it to thrive. If that environment is not there, if that enabling environment is not there, it becomes difficult for people to innovate. Um, and that's what and that's what policy should do. And a good example is, and I think I, I, I was reading this earlier, um, and I'm sure Taiwo, you're aware of this. 
startup acts in different African countries, right? Mm. That is policy. You yeah. know, startup acts is the first step in setting up a structure around the challenges that people face when they try to innovate. And you have to understand that our market is unique. You know, we're not a developed country. And so we have challenges around infrastructure, for instance. We mm-hmm. have poor infrastructure. We have challenges around capital, access to capital. We have challenges around talent. We have challenges around multiple taxation because we have different tiers of government. And each tier of government just keeps, you know, taxing at the, at the expense of, of the citizens. And so um, when you think about all of these challenges and you then expect young people or old people to innovate within these challenges, it's tough. And so I think policy should create that environment that makes it easier mm. for for young people to innovate. And I think startup acts are the next frontier of policy innovation. And we've seen we've seen Tunisia do it. 2018, Tunisia released their startup acts. Senegal followed in 2019. And more recently, um, there's been some talks about a startup act bill in Nigeria that's led by that's being led by people in the ecosystem, so private sector people in the ecosystem and also government as well. And um, I think this first draft should be ready at the end of this month. Well, that's what I read, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> we can hold them to it. <laughs> hopefully we can hold them to it, yeah. I think, I mean, I think we should all participate. I've gotten several, um, and I'm sure you have to, several um, nudges to contribute to it. To yeah, I have. I have, I should. You know, so um, I'm trying to figure out how I can. Um, participate and even if it's just to spread the word um, mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. sense but I think more importantly is that we're making progress um, I, I mean that's the way that I, I want to see it uh, mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm, and I, absolutely the initial one may not necessarily be uh, it won't be perfect that's mm-hmm. one thing I've come to terms with but it, it moves us closer to it but on the question I asked earlier about innovation versus policy um, some would also argue that most developed countries um, have always um, innovated before policy caught on and um, that the whole strength or the power of innovation is really it's almost like innovation bulldozes its way through whatever existing challenges and then shows you know like mm-hmm. clears a new path it's almost like building a new road um, you know you're going to mm-hmm. go in there with your excavators your bulldozers and all of that they're going to clear that hole whether it's going to break rocks, whether it's going to clear a bush path, you know, whatever it's going to do, fell down trees, you know, and that that's the role of innovation. Innovation does that and shows the way, and then most times policy catches on in that sense. So some would also argue that, you know, that you can't stop innovation either way, whether the policy is there or not, it's going to keep going, you know. But I hear you 100%, you know, and I agree as well, that policy should create that enabling environment so people can mm-hmm. go and create those expressways or those pathways to progress, success, prosperity for all, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. In that sense, that I mean, if you look at the whole Silicon Valley ecosystem, you know, it was a collaborative effort between the educational institutions, private sector, government, and all of that, that birthed that whole thing, not you know, 
it was a, what do you call it there? And it's still an ongoing thing that they're constantly revising as they're going along. So, but thank you for that. Um, I agree 100%. Policy should drive it. I think for me to, to support what you're saying is that, you know, we've seen several other examples globally for us to model ours after, but we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So there's no reason why we can't have policy in place to encourage innovation, as it were, because we're not necessarily recreating a lot of things from scratch. We're just creating, you know, it's just to say, well, how has it been done in certain other places that are similar to our own environment in that sense? But yeah. Absolutely. And just, just to add to that, um, Taiwo, I think also how I think about it is there's so many people that have ideas and want to test out their their, their ideas. But unfortunately, they don't have the same resources that some other people have. Yeah, true that. Maybe they're not working in the right place. You know, maybe they're not working in a company that allows them to test their ideas. Because some companies, for instance, InterSwitch is a good example that lets you test different ideas. So maybe they're not working in that sort of company that lets them test their ideas. And so they don't have access to, to resources to help them. You know, I hear what you're saying about other developed countries, but again, I think the keyword is developed. So most times they don't, we don't have, they don't have the same challenges that we have. And I'll give an example. When I was with LSCTF, when we started Lagos Innovates, one of our programs is a workspace voucher program mm. where we pay, I we give that. vouchers. You remember the program? Yeah, we give vouchers yeah. to to founders to go to any of our partner co-working spaces to use the space. And then we pay the co-working spaces directly. Now, sometimes it depends on what you get. So we had different categories of vouchers. So we had one at the time for 20,000 a month for three months. Actually, I think it was 12,000 a month for three months, 20,000 for six months, and then 150,000 for a year. And you get that every month. And I remember, and now and now the amounts have changed. They've gone up, they've increased. But I remember like the first batch of workspace vouchers that we did. And a bunch of people were not using their vouchers. So since it was the first one, I called everyone to find out why they were not using their vouchers. And I remember speaking with two people saying that, you know, thank you for the voucher. Um, we're happy we got the twenty thousand naira voucher. However, the hub close to my house cost thirty thousand naira, and I don't have the ten thousand naira balance. Mm. That's a real problem. Yeah, it is. Like even with paying twenty thousand, he doesn't have the ten thousand naira balance. Yeah. So he couldn't use the voucher. So he was still at home where he didn't have power, or power was in and out, and still trying to work through this idea. You, you hear things like that and you know that there's um there's miles to go, you know. So yeah. I, I think the important thing, like we both agreed, is that there's progress and that's that's very important. I mean, one of the things that I like that I've liked about LSCTF is the fact that government got involved. And for me, that's always a plus. It doesn't matter whether mm-hmm. they're doing it a hundred percent the right way or not, but they're involved and which means there's room for for progress, there's room for enhancement, there's room for growth, you know, and, you know, there's room to have these kinds of conversations that we, you know, we're having today. Mm -hmm. 
And if you were to be given a blank check and you were to, you know, you had a genie from a bottle and the genie said, look, make three wishes, three policy wishes, what would they be? Three policy wishes. And I can only have three. <laughs> Let's start with three. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, just thinking about how difficult it is to start a business in Nigeria and just thinking about some of our challenges that we, we've talked about. So infrastructure, talent, capital, and then regulation. Regulation is key. Regulation is such a pain for a lot of our, a lot of the founders in our ecosystem. For clarity, would it be, do you think there's currently over-regulation or you think there's under-regulation or there's not enough? I think there's, I wouldn't say over or under. I think there's just um, over, there's over-sudden regulation. So we have too much of sudden, like you just, like overnight, you just wake up and hear that this is what is happening now, okay. effective immediately. I hear you. <laughs> So I think um, I would like to see more engagement, mm. um, you know, and, and I always encourage this. And sometimes, so many times when I speak with young people, a lot of them say, I'll be fine without government. I don't need to engage, you know, and, you know, I'll start here, but perhaps expand to other countries, other countries in the region or maybe even globally, and then I'll be fine. I don't think that's the best way to go about it. I think in the region, we have the largest population and the, and sometimes the largest market, depending on your product. Yeah, we have, and the, I think, we have the largest GDP in, in, in Africa. So <laughs> Exactly. So you can't run away from Nigeria. So you have to engage. You have to. Like there's no... And, and, and I really said... We, we had a, um, a webinar with... Mitchell from Interswitch, I, we asked him what he would have done differently from when he started Interswitch in 2002, I believe. And one thing he said was not engaging early. He said when he was young, he didn't want to talk to government and he didn't engage early and it negatively affected his business. And as he matured and as he started speaking with mentors, he then realized that, look, whether or not I like it, I'm in this market. I want to grow in this market. I like being in this market, so I must engage. I must have the conversation. I always say to people, like, you know, it's better for you to even know before the regulation comes. <laughs> so three um, things I would like to see, three policies. One, I think, would be tax incentives for startups. Okay. Yeah, tax incentives for, for startups, I think. That would that that would help. Um, I know startup startup act Tunisia. They give up to eight years, I believe. I don't think Senegal does up to that, but I think Tunisia does up to eight years. So tax exemption will be good for startups. I also think tax exemption on perhaps maybe capital gains for people who invest in startups, possibly corporates, just to encourage corporates and also angel investors in the country to invest in startups and to invest in startups long-term. And then I would also like to see more grants or funding going to R&D in the country, especially our universities. I would like to see more engagement with 
with our universities, giving them direct grants to increase innovation and productivity. And lastly, I think this is more than three now. Sorry, Taiwo. Don't worry, don't Lastly, I would like to see, um, I would like it to be easier for people to get visas to come to the country. You know, for some reason, a lot of people love Nigeria. A lot of foreigners love Nigeria. A lot of people from other African countries want to come to Nigeria, want to live in Nigeria, want to work for startups here. But one thing that's super difficult is just the logistics and getting, uh, I think, I'm, I'm not even sure if we still do visas on arrival, but I remember the headache of doing visas on arrival for a company that was coming to Nigeria coming to set up in Nigeria and providing jobs for Nigerians. It was hectic. It was stressful. And, you know, I would always just pray that they don't, they wouldn't wake up one day and say, you know what, we're done. We're going to Egypt or we're going to Nairobi. Like this is too difficult. So yeah, that's just something to think about. Like just making it easier for people who want to come and create jobs here and people who want to also come and work for, um, our startups here as well, or people who, who even want to come and start startups here. It's making it easier for them to migrate here. I mean, that's a very important point that I think you raised. Um, because if you think about it, I think different people come in as well. They bring their own experiences. They bring their own knowledge, their own skill sets. And if we mix it with ours, you create something better because it's more heads, better experiences and b- better exposure um, yeah. on a global scale. And even if you look at the developed worlds and that, you know, that's why they're constantly head hunting and looking for talent from different uh-huh. parts of the world. That's why the United States has their um, diversity visa lottery program, trying to get some of the best minds from different parts of the world. I think the UK after Brexit now, they're more um, focused on it now, you know, and trying to get the best talent as well. Some of the things they had, um, jettisoned in the past, they're bringing it back, things like the HSMP or highly skilled programs, and then student visa, um, work visas um, for postgraduate or for students um, after your studies, post-work, post-study visas and stuff like that. Um, you look at a country like Canada that is looking for 1.2 million people between 2021 and 2023, um, and they're taking all our people. Exactly. So <laughs> they're taking um, all our people. So, so you know, and that's how those economies develop, and that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And we need to be open to that as well. I remember growing up as we had a lot of Ghanaian teachers. Um, we had different yeah. people from exactly you know, and they helped our education sector. They helped. Even, you know, even, and I hear, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, you had a lot of them who came in terms of former missionaries and so on and so forth. And that's how the sectors developed, the educational sector developed as well. So we, I, I think that's a very strong point uh, because that way we open ourselves up to, um, to learning other ways of doing things and maybe faster and better ways, um, mm-hmm. experience. And then most importantly as well, the economic incentive, which is the um, foreign direct investment that they bring with them when they come. So we just need structure. We just need structure around it and, you know, make it simple and, you know, be flexible and we need speed. I, I hear you. I mean, some of the things you said, one of the things um, was that you speak with a lot of young people now and they're like, oh, they're not interested with government. They're not this and that. Because it's just they've written the government off. But we both know that that's not 
the right approach. And we know that the government is making certain efforts, both at different state levels and at federal levels. Now, if there are, from your experience and from what you know, what are some of the policies that you think the startups or SMEs can immediately take advantage of just without even doing anything that's already in their favor? I mean, definitely agencies such as the Lagos State Employment Trust Fund, I think they can take advantage of some of the offerings that they provide. And I know other states have similar agencies as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I think Ondo has something similar. Kaduna has something similar. Ikiti has something similar as well. Um, maybe Oyo, not sure. But I think it's just taking advantage of agencies like that that truly want to help young people, help small businesses with interventions and resources and uh, approachable and, and, and transparent. I think they can also take advantage of, you know, I mean, CBN has a bunch of things as well. Um, in January, they announced their framework for regulatory sandbox. And pretty much to, this is pretty much to increase the potential for innovative business models and create like an environment for um, people to test their innovative financial products. Mm. So that's something else that they can take advantage of that was announced in January. I'm not sure who has taken advantage of it, but it's something that they can think about, people who are building fintech products. Um, and then things, and you mentioned a few things as well. You know, now it's easier to register your business. I think you can do it online. It's faster. There's Pebec. President introduced Pebec, I think, in, 2000, in 2016. And they have a bunch of initiatives to um, help the ease of doing business in Nigeria. Um, and again, even just going back to CBN, I've just remembered now, I think CBN at some point revised the KYC requirement for lower tier accounts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretty much incentivized the acceleration of agent networks in, in Nigeria. So I think it's just, you know, just being, having the information, like, being informed of what is out there. That's another thing that I noticed um, working for government. I realized that when I was in the private sector, I had no clue what was going on. (laughs) I had no clue um, what the resources were for small businesses and even to people in general. I had no clue about like, you know, grant programs, things you can take advantage of. You know, the, I think Lagos State did something called Ready, Set, Work at some point. Just different initiatives. And I realized that, look, information is key. Mm. So it's really just, you know, um, making sure that you you have access to, to information. Great. I mean, and I think that there are a few more as well in the Come Act of 2020, the Finance Act of mm-hmm. 2020, make certain mm-hmm. provisions that would, you know, help the small... I mean, for tax purposes as well, help that will help the small and medium enterprises mm-hmm, um, and even mm-hmm. startups as well. So more exposure for them, just getting more information out there. Um, hopefully they do that. I want to say a big thank you uh, for taking out the time of your busy, um, out of your busy schedule to, to chat with us on Blue Talks today, Tosin. Um, it's been a pleasure. I wish you could go on, but we have to get on with the day. So thank you for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you, Taiwo. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone who listened. Okay, this has been our edition of Blue Talks for today. Until next time, bye-bye. Blue Talks, brought to you by Stambik IBTC. So my sister just texted me now telling me how much she's missed me. (laughs) 
Well, I know what she truly misses, so I open my Steinbeck IBTC app and say to it, Hey, I want to transfer 5,000 naira to Funke. Done. And my post just asked me what the highest price stock is right now. Huh. I can't fold my hand, though. So I open my Stambik IBTC app from the comfort of my home and figure it out. Got it. You be the hero. Upgrade and take control of your finances with the new Stambik IBTC mobile app. Download or upgrade your Stambik IBTC mobile app on Google Play or Apple Store to experience seamless voice banking, stockbroking, insurance, and more from the safety of your home. From your one-stop financial services partner, Stambik IBTC. It can be 